I realized at a young age that we don't live in a fantasy world. We live in the real world, a broken world, and it requires faith. Every day we pass by hundreds of people. Every day we struggle with who we are. We live in a generation that displays a fantasy life where everything looks perfect. We live in a generation that doesn't see hurting people, even when they're all around us. A lot of us believe the lie that if you live for yourself, you'll be happy. And a lot of us believe the lie that when you are broken, you are not loved. But here's where faith comes in. You are loved by someone who made you in his image. And when you open your eyes and see the people around you, Jesus Christ will use you to change lives. Because the church is not a fantasy place for perfect people. No, each one of us are the church. So in a broken world, I don't choose false truths, and I don't choose fantasy Christianity. I choose faith. What do you choose? Tonight, we're gonna to be continuing through our series Faith over fantasy, and tonight we're going to talk about something that I believe all college students struggle with, and that's having a personal prayer life. I heard Coach a few weeks ago, he was talking to a group of our uh, college students, some of our college leaders, and he asked them, he said, he said, college students, why do you all think it's so hard for people to pray? And I just shared this with our serve team a moment ago before we came, came in here and started worshiping, is for me personally, you know, I'm much better at reading my Bible than I am praying. And so being up here preaching on prayer has been, it's challenged me. It's convicted me because I'll tell you this, college students, I'm not going to come up here and preach about prayer without prayer. I'll say that on the front end. But I believe the hardest thing about prayer for us as college students is it requires us to completely stop what we're doing. And, you know, I believe you can pray in the car. You can pray while you walk in the hallways. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not saying you, you can't pray while you're on the move. No, but when I say it's uh, requires you to stop what you're doing. When you pray, that is you and the Lord. That is you talking to the Lord one-on-one. -on -one. And that requires you to stop thinking about your schoolwork. That requires you to stop thinking about all your outside circumstances. That requires you to think about the busyness, all the things that are going on in your life. And it requires you to focus on the Lord. And for me, I've been very challenged by that this, this weekend as I, as I prepped and as I prayed over this message um, to literally stop before the Lord and say, God, this is your message. And so tonight, in a moment, this is our passage that we're going to be in tonight. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Luke 18. And in a moment, we're going to begin reading verse 9. Luke 18, and we'll start in verse 9. And uh, in our meeting before the service tonight, I was, just, I was praying to myself and I was thinking about uh, the passage. And this question came, the Lord laid this question on my heart. And I want you guys to write the answer down at the top of your notes. What keeps you from really praying? What is that one thing? It might be a person. It might be a hobby. It might be you have too much on your plate. But what is that one thing that really keeps you from praying before the God of creation? Because if that's keeping you from praying on a consistent basis, it's basically you saying, God, this is more important than me talking to you. And I know none of us want to admit to that, saying that our sport, our practice, our homework, our relationship with a friend or girlfriend or boyfriend is more important than our personal relationship with the Lord. I know none of us want to admit that. 
but I want to ask you to write that answer down because if you're able to identify the problem, then you're able to find the solution. You know, I think about it, it's like a leak. If you have a leaking pipe in your home and you continue to let it, let it get worse and worse, you're eventually your house is going to be flooded and that's going to be a huge problem. And if you continue to let this little thing, this little distraction, whatever it may be, keep you from praying, before you know it, you're going to feel like you're far, farther than ever from the Lord. But all it, all it took was you to replace that distraction from your life and replace it with more prayer. And you'll feel much, much closer to the Lord. And if you're, if you're taking notes tonight, the title of our sermon tonight is going to be Fantasy Prayer. Tonight in our passage, we're going to walk through two prayers of a Pharisee and of a tax collector. And we're going to see one prayer that is, of, that is really just fantasy. And we're going to see another prayer that is of true faith. And before we start, you know, I hear pastors say this all the time from, from Daniel. He says it to Brother Steve. It, it is, if you have no prayer in your life, you have no power in your life. If you have no prayer in your life, you have no power in your life. And I wrote this down. If you want to see God move in your life, it starts with your personal prayer life. College students, what do our prayer lives look like in the midst of our college days? And so two weekends ago, one of my best friends got married, Zach Paul, and him and Allie got married. And I had the opportunity to be in the wedding and stand behind Zach and celebrate him and celebrate Allie. And it was a beautiful ceremony and it was a beautiful venue. But the venue was at a place called Moscow, Tennessee. Does anybody know where Moscow, Tennessee is? When I got the address, I learned that Moscow was also in Tennessee. Did not know we had a Moscow, Tennessee. Don't go, go, don't go that far out there. You know, I'm a Bartlett guy, born and raised. Um, but what I realized was, on my way out to Moscow, I had a problem. My gas light was on. Yeah, yeah, y'all relate to that, don't y'all? Us as college students, we got so much going on, we'll say, oh, I'll go get gas tomorrow. And for some of y'all, y'all got the car that says three miles left. I drive a 2011, a Honda, I'm guesstimating. And so I hop on, I hop on the interstate. I hop on the interstate, and I remember because it was just two weeks ago, and I had, a, I, had coach, I had Coach in the car with me, and I had Austin Burgess in the car with me, and I said it out loud. I said, fellas, I, my gas light's on. And I don't know about y'all, but when your gas gets really, really low, the gas light gets really, really bright. Like, hey, I need gas. That's what your car's screaming at you. Fill me up. And what's crazy was is I passed all these gas stations. You know, I passed exit 18, the Somerville exit. I passed the Oakland exit, and those had gas stations. But once I got to that Macon exit, I was looking at my map. I was like, hey, fellas, can y'all Google a, a gas station real quick? I said, Deco, there ain't one on the way there. And I said, all right, well, we, we just going to have to make it there. And what's crazy is I'm, I'm so stubborn and I'm so, because again, it's, as college students, we're so, we have so much going on. We're so busy. You know, we're like, oh, I'll do it. We'll do, we put it off. We procrastinate. We know about that with assignments. We procrastinate. And I was bold enough to say, you know what, fellas, I'm going to try to make it back home on this gas tank too. And I'll just go get gas tomorrow. Luckily, we had some downtime before wedding photos and stuff like that. So I, I drove to a gas station that was like 10 minutes away. And I was, I'm be honest, I thought I wasn't going to make it to the gas station in Moscow, Tennessee, but thankfully I did. But what this has learned is me, what this has taught me is this right here. If I would have ran out of gas, me, Coach, and Burge would have been in trouble. We would have, because I know some of y'all have actually ran out of gas, and y'all have to call, hey, can you bring me some gas in a red gas tank so I can get to the gas station? Um, and it would have been, if I would have ran out of gas, it would have been a struggle 
for me, Coach, and Birds, for one, to get the car where it was supposed to be, but two, to get us where we were supposed to be. And it's such a silly illustration, but it's such a true illustration, and that is how a lot of believers are walking around in the prayer life. They're walking around on an empty soul. They're walking around wondering why God's not moving, that why they don't see God or why they feel far from the Lord, and it's because they don't have a personal prayer life. Their soul's running on empty. And college student, it's just like it would have been hard to get that car or to get us to that wedding without gas. It's going to be hard for you to live out your faith without prayer. Because especially on, we're going back to college campuses in August. Me and my team, we're super excited about that. And there we are going to be surrounded by lost students. And the thing that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to fall back into that sin because we don't have a prayer life? And, um, and like I said, just like we can't expect a car to move without any gas, we can't expect God to move without any prayer. Just like we can't expect a car to move without any gas, we can't expect God to move without any prayer. Now, I believe God is completely sovereign. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. I, tr- I truly believe that. But there are some things in our lives that God is waiting for us to come to him on, and we just haven't done it. And Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the doors will be open. There are some things in our life that God won't do until we go to him for help. And if I would have ran out of gas, it, would have, it wouldn't have only affected me, but it would have affected the people in the car with me too. And it's the same thing with prayer. If I'm going through my days without prayer, it's going to affect the people around me. Because I guarantee you, because I know for me, and Coach has called me out a lot on on this because we're accountability partners. He shared that last week with our hear journals and things like that. When I'm walking on a low, um, when I'm walking around with low fuel in my soul because I'm not praying, Coach notices it. Because one, I treat treat my relationships differently. I treat my friends differently. I act differently. I walk around mopey or woe is me because things are going bad in my life. But on the flip side of that, when I'm walking around on full, when I'm really praying before the God of creation and giving him my problems, giving him my worries, giving him my fears, I feel a lot better because, like I said a few seconds ago, God is completely in control. College students, do we believe that in our prayer life? And all I had to do was stop at a gas station to get gas, and I would have had nothing to worry about. And that is what we have to do in our prayer life. Stop going through your life running on an empty soul. Because I guarantee you, if you get face down before the Lord and you start praying more, and I mean pray real, genuine prayers, you'll see, it. You'll see something different in your life. And not only that, but since the Spirit of God is moving through you and working in your life, it's like an outpour. People will see that around you too, and they'll say, hey, what's different about you? And it's a wide open door to share the gospel. And tonight, like I said, we're going to walk through a passage, and we see two people pray. It's going to be a Pharisee and a tax collector, and their prayers are very, very different. And from one, we can see what it looks like to really pray to God. The tax collector is going to show us what a real, genuine, humble prayer life looks like. And then the other, we're going to see what it looks like just to talk in the temple. Because that's what the Pharisee did. He just talked in the temple. And I'm back with the sermon in the sentence. Super excited about this one because the Lord just kind of just dropped this on my heart. And it is, this has challenged me. And this 
has changed the way I pray because it all goes back to our perspective of ourselves. And so if I could sum up this sermon in one sentence, and this would be probably one of the biggest takeaways is this. The perspective we have of ourselves will affect the posture of our prayers. The perspective we have of ourselves will affect the posture of our prayers. And again, in this passage, we see the Pharisee have a very high perspective of himself, a very righteous perspective of himself. And we see the tax collector, he has a very low and a very broken perspective of himself. And the question I ask myself as I prep this, as the Lord laid this on my heart is, what is the perspective I have of me? Because that will affect the posture of my personal prayer life. And so before we dive into our passage, I'd love to pray over us. I would love to just go before the Lord. I love that prayer time that Coach just led us through. Um, so before we read God's word, let's pray to God, together. Heavenly Father, you're good, Lord. And God, we thank you for you. God, we thank you for the decisions that have already been made in just a short amount of time. God, we give those people to you, Lord. God, I pray you comfort them. And you give them confidence that you are with them, Lord. And God, tonight I pray that from this passage we would walk away and learn what it looks like to really pray before you, God. Lord, we don't want to just talk to you, God. We want to pray, cry out, and beg to you, God, that you would move in each of our lives, Lord. God, change the perspective of ourselves, Lord. If we have a prideful perspective of ourselves, God, I pray you would break that tonight. And you would give us a humble perspective of ourselves, God, because we want to look up to you at the end of the day anyways, God. Lord, be in this place, God. Come down and meet with every single college student tonight, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before I read Luke 18, 9 through 12, point number one is prideful prayer is fantasy. Number one, prideful prayer is fantasy. And this is what God's word says right here, starting in verse 9. He also told this parable, talking about Jesus, to some who trusted in themselves, and they were righteous, and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Sheesh, prophet. So in verse 9, we see that Jesus is teaching a parable and regarding the prayer. And in just a few short verses, I read, I read three verses, we learn a lot about the Pharisee and how he prayed in the temple. And as we know, the Pharisees were the religious people of this day, and they thought they had it all figured out. You ever been around a person that they just walk around, shoulders back, head up, like, oh, I got this figured out, and they don't take any advice? That's how the Pharisees were this day. They, they would go to the temple, pray standing up, and say, and you, that's what God's word says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And I wrote this question to myself because there, before I gave my life to the Lord, I, I trusted in myself. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought my, what I was doing for work, what I was going to do for school and things like that, like that was the end game. That was the, what I was supposed to do. And so the question I wrote down was, how prideful do you really have to be to trust in yourself? Because trusting in yourself at the end of the day will only get you so far. 
You ever tried to go through your plan and then it doesn't work out and you blame, you start to blame other people like, oh gosh, why didn't that work out? But if you start to trust in the Lord, I bet you'll see a lot of, a lot of different things happen. I bet you'll start to see him move. And we read over and over again how they would look down on people if they didn't keep the Pharisee standard. I'm glad we don't have to fit the standard of man because that's always changing. The standard of man is always changing. And Jesus, he gives us a standard that will never change. And aren't you glad you don't have to keep up with the Pharisee standard, but you get to look to Jesus and be like him? Amen? Amen. We won't be like Jesus at The View. We won't be like Jesus on our college campuses so we can see college students give their hearts to Jesus. Don't, don't be a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were so busy looking down on other people, they missed Jesus right before their eyes. And when we are so busy looking down on other people, we will miss what God is doing right in front of us. When we are so busy looking down on other people, that means our eyes are down, we will miss what God is doing right in front of us because our eyes are on the wrong thing. It's on other people. Look at them. Oh, I'm not like them. My sin's not as bad as them. But then you miss what God did right before you. And in verse 11, it tells us the Pharisee was standing and praying about himself. And Jesus warns us about our posture when we pray. I love Matthew 6. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is where he teaches us how to pray. And Matthew 6, 5 says this right here. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. And so basically, the Pharisee, this is what he was doing. The Pharisee positioned himself to be seen by man and not by God. You can imagine, just from reading God's word, I imagine, I bet the Pharisee, he was standing in the middle of the temple. He was probably praying loud. He was probably trying to use eloquent words, trying to use his smooth speech. But at the end of the day, he was just talking about himself. Because that's what God's word, he was praying about himself. And so he didn't go to the temple to be seen by God. He didn't go to the temple to pray. He, he went to the temple to say, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm better than you. Look at me. I'm above you. And that, that fall is going to be hard. Big, bigger the pride, the harder the fall. We hear that all the time. And a really cool thing about Jesus is once he tells us what not to do, he always tells us what we should do. So right after Matthew 6, 5, Matthew 6, 6 says this, but when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Praise God for that. College students, when we pray, we shouldn't worry about having eyes on us because our eyes need to be on Jesus in our prayer life. When we pray, we don't need to worry about everybody looking at us because we need to be worried about our eyes, our heart, our prayers focused on Jesus. And the Pharisee literally says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. And what's cool is Jesus has something to say to that too. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 18, 4. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So according to the Pharisee, he's glad he's not like everybody else in the temple. He's glad he's not like everybody else where he was living. But according to Jesus, we're to humble ourselves like little children and not elevate ourselves like, like the Pharisee did. And when we elevate ourselves in prayer, we are missing the purpose of prayer. It's because, again, it goes back to our eyes and our heart are off Jesus. And this right here is what it says. In other words, pride prevents prayer from achieving its purpose. 
Pride prevents prayer from achieving its purpose. Because when we have prideful prayers, we're not focused on the Lord. It's, it's on us. Look at me. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look what I'm talking about. Because then we continue to see how the Pharisee prayed. And he thanks God he isn't greedy. Which Jesus also has something to say to that too. Luke 16, 14 through 15 says this. The Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and scoffing at them. And he told them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts for what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. And in just a short amount of time, the Pharisee focused on everything else around him and actually not praying. He told God everything he's not and everything he has done. And that's a scary place to be in our prayer life because the why behind the things that we're doing, the why behind our what is very important. And in Luke eleven forty two, 42, this is what Jesus tells the Pharisees. But woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, rue and every kind of herb and you bypass this is important right here you bypass justice and love for God these things you should have done without neglecting the others so basically they were doing the what they were doing what they were supposed to but their why behind their what was off so it's not pleasing to the Lord and how many times do we do things for selfish motives oh I'm doing this to get their attention oh I'm doing this because I want people to look at me I want people to think highly of me but at the end of the day that's not even what it's about it's about giving it all praise, all honor, all glory to the Lord. And because that's what satisfies him. He's worthy of all of our worship because of what he has done for us on the cross. And again, it just goes back to that Pharisee standard. We, I am so glad I do not have to keep up or compete with the Pharisee of how a Pharisee talked or how a religious person would talk today. But I, God has gifted me in ways. God has gifted each of you in ways. And we're supposed to celebrate those, not compare those. And that's a whole, that's a whole other sermon we could talk about of celebrating gifts and comparing gifts. Because if you're comparing, again, your eyes are off Jesus. But if you're celebrating, you're pointing that person and those gifts back to Jesus. And if we examine the Pharisee's prayer a little bit more as a study, he used the word I talked about himself he used I five times in a quick amount of time and if you want to you can go you can go circle each time he said it because it starts in verse 11 right here the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself God I thank you that I'm not like other people greedy unrighteous adulterers or even like this tax collector I God I do this I fast twice a week I give a tenth of everything I get it's obvious that he's not at the temple. It's obvious that he's not at the temple for him. Um, it's obvious that he's at the temple for him and not for God. Just in those short little verses and the way he's praying, it's obvious and we see that he is at the temple to say, look at me, look at me, and not to talk to God, not to pray to the Lord. He's not at the temple to thank God for what God has done, but he is at the temple to talk about what he is doing. And praying isn't about us getting our way, but it's about God getting his way. And when you learn that in your prayer life, when you learn that prayer is about God getting his way, it will radically change your prayer life. It's changed mine, and it's changed many others. And you can ask yourself the question of this right here. Why are you praying for what you are praying for? Because we have to have a selfless prayer life. 
Because if the why doesn't match, if the why isn't there, if our heart's not behind the what, why even do it? Because if it's to bring glory for ourselves, we'll get that applause. We'll say, they'll say, oh, good job, Dakota. And then we'll go on. And then what, are you, are you going to be satisfied? That's not satisfying. But when you do it for the Lord and people come to know Jesus more and more because of how you're living your life, because of how you're praying, to give all honor and all credit to the Lord, that is what's going to satisfy you. That's what's going to fulfill you because he, again, it goes back to he is worthy all of our worship. He's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of everything because of what he's done for us. Coach has already shared the most important love story of all time at the beginning with our prayer time. That Jesus came, he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he was able to die on the cross for your sins, my sins, and the whole world's sins because of that. Not only that, it doesn't stop there, but God raised him up from the grave three days later, and now we get to serve a living and breathing and act of God. Amen? Amen. We get to celebrate that. Be fulfilled in that. Don't, don't be fulfilled in doing it for yourself because it's not going to fulfill you. And this, as I was prepping, this is what the Lord taught me. When we are prideful in our prayers, we hinder our intimacy with God. When we are prideful in our prayers, we hinder our intimacy with God. And I think about a time that I didn't personally get my way. You ever had those moments in your life? I think this is a silly one, but like you're in the back. See, hey, mom, can we go get uh, McDonald's? And she's like, oh, no, we got food at the house. We used to get, we get, we used to get upset because of that because we didn't, we didn't want what, the, what was the, at the house. We wanted what was quicker and what was easier. But our parents, they know what we need. And newsflash, I, I, I'm, I'm bad about this. I love cookouts, so I'm learning this myself. McDonald's is unhealthy, everybody. Cookouts are unhealthy, everybody. So our parents know what we need because the food at the house, what they have for us is healthier and is better for us. And, yes, cookouts better than McDonald's. Praise God. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think about that. But also a, a very important thing I think about is I think about a part of my testimony. And uh, I, know, I know we have some seniors in here. I got to meet some of the guys on my beach. We go green team, small plug. Um, we, uh, I went to beach week. And that's where I gave my life to the Lord. That's where I heard the gospel. And that's where I understood the love that Jesus had for me. And I ended up repenting of my sins. I believed that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And not only that, but he was raised from the grave. And I ended up getting baptized that week too. But what's funny was I did not want to go to Beach Week. Oh, my goodness. I remember I was a, I was a high school senior. And I'd go to The View on and off because uh, I gave Exit 15 a try. And uh, I never went back to it, and I had a lot of things to work through in my personal life. Um, and so I'd go to The View on and off my senior year of high school. And I remember Coach would invite me each and every week. And I've told this before. I used to pick up shifts on Monday nights, so I, didn't, I would have a reason not to go. And he still gives me a hard time about that. But now here I am. I'm here every Monday. Love The View. Um, but I remember, I remember it clear as day, I was at The View one Monday night, I was, a, I was a, high school, uh, a high school senior, I was getting ready to graduate, and Coach approached me about, hey, Dakota, I want you to go to Beach Week. And I knew it was that high school summer camp with the Exit 15, and y'all could probably, I've already told y'all my answer, it was a quick and easy, nah, Coach, I'm good, man, that's that high school summer camp stuff, that's that church stuff, I, I don't, I don't want to go to that. But, man, so, I'm so thankful for Coach and the role he's played in my life because let me tell you something, that is a persistent 
consistent dude. Each and every, each and every day. He gave me like every other day. He was like, Dakota, you changed your mind about Beach Week? Dakota, how about Beach Week now? What if, what if we did this? What if I did this? You know, and he, he didn't bribe me, but it got to the point. He let me know like I had the opportunity to go to the beach. Um, and it's because the reason why Coach was so adamant about me going to Beach Week is because he wasn't worried about what I wanted, but he knew it's what I needed. And it's because he knew when I went down to Beach Week, I would have the opportunity to hear the gospel, I would be around godly community, and that I would have the opportunity to give my life to Christ. And I finally went down there, and here's the application to this. Like I said, the whole time coach knew it's not, it's not what I wanted, but it's what I needed. In the same way in our prayer life, it isn't about what we want to happen, but it's about what God wants to happen. And so often we forget that God knows what we need, and he knows that need before we ask. Going back to Matthew 6, verse 8, it says this, Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. And what I realized, college students, was at the end of the day, even, even when we don't realize it, when our prayers are answered God's way and not our way, it is better for us. I didn't want to go to that high school church camp, but it's what I needed. And college students, I have this question right here. What does it look like for us to give up our pride, give up what we want, and say, God, do what you want? Do what you want in my relationships. Do what you want in my career. Do what, do what you want with my finances. Do what you want with my family. Do what you want in this girl or boy that I'm dating. Do what you want. Have your way in my life. Because when you do that, I'm telling you, God will radically change your prayer life. And if you go through, go through. I, I challenge you. This is, the Lord just laid this on my heart. I challenge you this week to go through a list of prayers that God has answered in your life and see, and see how that lines up. Because I guarantee you, his track record, his faithfulness is 100%. God doesn't miss. God is 100% faithful. And I guarantee you, the way you're praying for your prayers to be answered, and God answers it his way, look at it. See how you were praying for that prayer your way, and see how God answered And I bet God's way was 110 times, 100,000 times better. Just so much better than you could think or imagine. Because he's perfect, and he, he created the heavens and the earth. Don't you think he knows what he's doing with our prayer life? Go before the Lord and say, God, have your way, not my way. Excuse me. And stop going to God about what you want and start asking for what you need. It's okay to go before the Lord and say, God, I want this. But again, it goes back to why. Why do you want that? Why do you want that? Why do you want that relationship? Why do you want to date that person so bad? Why do you want all of that money? Is it for you? Is it for you? Or are you going to use that for his honor, for his glory? Because if you start going before the Lord and say, God, what do I need? I guarantee you he'll start providing what you need because he knows your needs before you even ask for them. And praise God we serve a God that knows everything about us. Praise God that we serve a God that is with us in the battle. I love that song we just sang that Alan led us through, that we fight for the battle on our knees. Praise God he knows what we need. He's just waiting for us to come and say, hey, ask me. Talk to me. I know us as college students, a lot of us struggle with prayer because it requires us to stop, like I said at the beginning. So the question is, college students, when was the last time you really stopped and sat before the Lord and just prayed? And I challenge you, I have prayer, I have prayer partners, 
they, they, they hold me accountable in my prayer life. One of the guys I pray with that I started praying with on a consistent basis is Buka. One of the nicest dudes I know, he encourages me and pushes me in my prayer life because he checks in with me and I check in with him. I challenge you, who is somebody you could call this week and say, hey, I want to pray with you. And you don't even, you can start it once a week. And then next thing you know, it grows to two times a week. And I guarantee you that, that time will probably start to become some of your best times of the week. Because it's you and one, another person that you care about praying before the God who loves both of you. Imagine what that can do in both of your lives. And then imagine what that prayer will do around everybody else in your life. Prayer changes things, college students. The question is, do we believe that? Do we believe that there is power in prayer? Because I know Brother Steve, all the way to all of our pastors, to my, to my team, to the, the people I work with and serve here with, we believe that prayer changes things because we see it right here each and every week. The view is, is on God's word, but it's also on the prayers before the people before us. And we're just lucky enough. We're just, we're just humbled enough to see what God's doing right now before our eyes. So, again, don't miss what God is doing right before you. But also, I challenge you, I really challenge you, who is somebody you could pray with this week on a consistent basis and see how that changes y'all's friendship, see how that changes y'all's prayer life, and I bet it'll start to change the, the lives around the people around you because they'll notice something different about you too. Look with me as we go back to our passage. We're gonna, now we're going to look at how the tax collector prayed. And starting in verse 13, it says, God's word says this, but the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Number one was prideful prayer is fantasy. Number two is humble prayer is faith. Humble prayer is faith. And just by reading, we read three or four, three verses of the tax collector, excuse me, the Pharisee's prayer, and we learned a lot about the Pharisee personally. And in just two short, quick verses about the tax collector, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Wouldn't even, keep, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, and he kept striking his chest. We're going to walk through all of that because all of that's important. And so in our last two verses, we get to take a look at how the tax collector was praying, and we will see the differences. We've, I, I bet you all have already seen the differences between the Pharisee and the tax collector's prayer. And the first thing we can see is the tax collector was far off. So opposed to the Pharisee standing in the middle of the temple, you can imagine the tax collector was probably all the way off to the side of the wall. Probably did not even think he was worthy enough to be there praying before God. He was standing far off, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven because he knew his sin. He knew he had sin in his life. But not only that, I love his prayer. God, he recognized God for who he is and then he recognized what he could do for him. Recognize God first, and then recognize you'll be able to recognize what he can do for you. God, have mercy on me. And God can have, God's had mercy on us, too, through his son, Jesus. And he realized the weight of his sin. Ezra 9, 6 says this. And I said, my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face towards you. 
My God, because our iniquities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. Imagine having that view of your sin, how that would change you. Not only that, but he was striking his chest and he was face down before the Lord. And the idea behind this with him striking his chest was a tax collector was so aware of his sin and his heart corruption, he hit at his own heart for punishment. So imagine this, the picture, the tax collector was just over and over and over again, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And it, you can imagine he was crying out before the Lord. He was begging for the Lord to have mercy on him because he knew he was a sinner. And the question that I ask myself is, do I recognize sin as something worth being punished? Do I recognize my sin as something worth being punished, or do I just gloss over it? And do I say, oh, that's not as bad as the other people. Other people are sinning worse. But there's no levels to sin. Sin is sin, and that breaks fellowship with God, and we have to repent of that. We have to ask for forgiveness of that. And because when, when you have a relationship with Jesus, and many of us know this, when you have a relationship with Jesus and then you still fall into sin, you don't lose your relationship with the Lord, but you do. That breaks the fellowship. That breaks your fellowship with the Lord. And because a holy God can't be, be somewhere or with, with something that's unholy. He's a, God is 100% holy. He doesn't know sin. And so when we sin, we have to repent of that because then when we repent and ask for forgiveness, Jesus' forgiveness cleanses us and he brings us back to that right relationship with the Lord. So college students, do we recognize our sin as something being worth being punished? And when was the last time you really went before the Lord and asked for his mercy? When was the, the last time you really repented of your sin? You know, I think about Psalm 51. This, this isn't in my notes, but I love that psalm because it's a psalm of David, and he just cries. He, he, he messed up. We all know what David did. He messed, he messed up, and he messed up in a, a major way, but he recognized his mess up. And in Psalm 51, this is David's prayer right here. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I love verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me. In verse 12, this is something I pray daily. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. The tax collector recognized the weight of his sin. King David recognized the weight of his sin. College students, do we recognize the weight of our personal sin? And when we get to that point, that is when we are able to humble ourselves and ask for mercy. And what's cool about that is this right here. When we have a right view of ourselves, we can have a real conversation with God. When we have the right view of ourselves, we can have real conversation with God. We can really pray before the God who forgives us. Because <clears throat> like I said, the, the Pharisees' pride hindered intimacy with God. But on the flip side of that, the tax collector's humility allowed transparency with God. And there's a big difference right there. The Pharisees' pride hindered intimacy with God, but the tax collector's humility allowed transparency with God. And so when we're humble before the Lord, when we're humble before the Lord, we're able to lay it all out. Because he knows what we're struggling with. He knows if we're living in sin. 
Again, it just goes back to uh, it's him waiting on us to ask for forgiveness and repent of that. And that will allow you to be so much more transparent with him because he already knows what you're going through. But again, it just goes back to him waiting on you to come to him. I love that verse I read earlier when Jesus says we have to humble ourselves like little children. Do you view yourself as a little child? Do you view yourself as a child of God? Because if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a child of God. And that is a sweet, sweet place to be, is being a child of God. You want to talk about when you look in the mirror, do you see your titles? Do you see, oh, I have a master's degree. Oh, I'm a successful engineer. I'm a, I'm a great nurse. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. Or do you see yourself as a child of God? Because all, the, all those things except the one I said will pass away. You'll, you'll retire from playing sports. You'll retire from being a nurse one day. You'll retire from being an engineer one day. You'll retire from anything that you do. But being a child of God, once you give your life to Jesus, that's an eternal thing. That's a forever thing. And praise God for that, for sure. And the ancient Greek word for be merciful, in my, when I was studying, I came across this. I'm totally going to butcher this word. I've been practicing this. But it's, I'm going to spell it first. H-I-L-A-S-K-O-M-A-I. So hiloskomai, not, not fluent in Greek. Um, it's actually the word for an atoning sacrifice. And so this, this is really cool right here. Essentially, the tax collector was praying this right here. Be merciful to me through your atoning sacrifice for sins because I am a sinner. The tax collector realized that sin required a sacrifice. And that changed his prayer life. Be merciful to me through your atoning sacrifice for sins. The atoning sacrifice is why we can have God's mercy, because we are the sinners. And Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 says this, Therefore he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Praise God for that. In 1 Timothy, this is what 1 Timothy 1.15 says. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. This saying is trustworthy, deserving, deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. College students, when we view ourselves as the worst of sinners, we'll, we'll then begin to humble ourselves before God and humble ourselves around other people. But when we're prideful and say, my sin isn't as bad as the next person's sin, like I said a few moments ago, your prayer will not achieve its purpose. And it's because that pride is killing your intimacy with the God who loves you. And again, it just goes back, be a humble, be a little child before the Lord. Keep your eyes on him and look up to him. That's the beautiful picture of that is when, when we have such a high view of ourselves, that's when we start to look down on other people. But then when we have the right view of ourselves, we're equal with everybody else because we're all sinners and we're all looking up to God who saves all. Praise God for that. Jesus tells us that whoever exalts themselves will be humble and whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. And true humbleness is seeing things for what they really are. So for a humble person, in other words, a humble person sees themselves for who they really are. 
In other words, a humble person sees themselves for who they really are. And I think we would all agree, whether we are playing sports for fun or competitively, the prideful athletes are the worst. Can I get an amen for everybody? The prideful athletes are the worst. The ones who think they're the hot stuff. Me and Coach, we used to play driveway basketball with some of my other teammates. And uh, we used to call it hero ball. You're down by one. And uh, in this driveway, you used to play basketball with. I mean, the goal could be where the, where the trough is. And I mean, I'm at the mail. One of my buddies would be at the mailbox trying to hit a game winner. And it cost us the game. Hero ball. Don't play. Don't play that. Play, play, fair, play fair. Don't be a prideful athlete. But what's cool is I've had the chance to watch more boxing lately, and uh, it's a really fun sport to watch and learn about. You know, the, all these YouTubers and TikTokers are getting into boxing and stuff like that and challenging some. <sighs> challenging Floyd? Come on, man. Like, really? <laughs> how prideful do you have to be? Like I said in the beginning, how prideful do you have to be to trust in yourself? How prideful do you have to be to challenge a guy who's undefeated? And you're 0-1. But anyway, that's, that's besides the point. I enjoy watching boxing, and some of the guys that I've had the chance to watch boxing with, I told them, I told them, I was like, fellas, I could not get in the boxing ring, because if I get hit in the jaw one good time, I think I'd be down for the count. I think I'd be down for the rest of it. But adrenaline and stuff like that, but I, just, I know my place. I'm not a boxer. I'm a lover. And I love people. I don't want to box people. I love people. And one of the best boxers to ever get in the ring was Muhammad Ali. I looked up his height and weight. This dude was like 6'3". 240 pounds, so this was a big dude. He was a solid dude. And some of, some of his uh, achievements were, right, were this right here. He won the World Heavyweight Championship three separate times and defended that title successfully 19 times. So Muhammad Ali was that dude in the boxing ring. Like, you don't want to box that dude. And what's cool was um, he was known for his charm. He was known for his personality. Obviously, he was known for his boxing skills, but unfortunately, one of the things he was known for was his pride. Muhammad Ali was a, a very prideful guy, and I mean, he, he thought he had the reasons to be it. And um, I, was, I came across this illustration. Muhammad Ali was on his way to an event. He was traveling by plane, and all of us, all of us know when we're on a plane, sometimes we run into turbulence. And when, tur when the plane rides get rough, the captain of the plane he tells us to put our seatbelts on because he knows it's what we need. But Muhammad Ali, being the guy he was, charm, personality, boxer, prideful guy, he didn't think he needed to wear his seatbelt like everybody else. He thought he was above everybody else because he had the fame, he had the name, he had the skills and all that. And so when the flight attendant was going aisle to aisle, please put your seatbelt on, please put your seatbelt on, everybody else was putting it on. But Muhammad Ali was being... He wouldn't put his seatbelt on. And so when the flight attendant got to Muhammad Ali, like you saw, for example, not saying you're a powerful guy, you're just right here in front of me, love you. Sir, would you put your seatbelt on? And as I learned, Muhammad Ali referred to himself as Superman sometimes. And listen to Muhammad Ali's response. Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. Oh, so you know it. <laughs> Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And what's so funny is, is the flight attendant's response. This is the good part right here. Superman don't need a plane either. <laughs> and all of this to say, Superman doesn't need a plane either. All of this to say is this right here. Our pride will keep us from realizing what we need. 
Muhammad Ali having so much confidence in himself, being so prideful in himself, he didn't think he needed a seatbelt like everybody else. But just because he was a super, super talented boxer didn't make him superhuman. He was still a human at the end of the day. And it's the same way with our prayer lives. Is when we're prideful in our prayers, we'll miss what we need. And the Pharisee saw himself greater than what he really was. And the tax collector saw himself as a sinner in need of mercy, which he was. College students, how do we approach the God of creation in prayer? Do we approach him with a high and mighty, oh, I got this figured out, God, attitude? Or do we go before the God of creation as a little child and say, God, I need you. You are my heavenly father. Would you show me what I need to do? And for some, maybe a lot of us, we haven't spent time with God in prayer in a long time. And you probably feel like God is far off or he doesn't hear you. And I want to encourage you with James 4.4, and it's this right here. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's not that God is walking away from us, but it's us walking away from him, and that's when we feel far from God. And what's cool is Jesus is just waiting for us to come back to him. Humble yourselves like a little child and run to your Father in heaven because our relationship with him is our biggest need.